uh, final. We're going to be in Luke chapter 6. You have it on your scripture sheet. You have it on the screen. You have it in your Bible in the pew or your Bible that you brought with you today. Uh, our fourth and final look at the great parable of the two houses. Uh, quick personal word. Uh, we have a great friend here with us this, uh, this morning, Debbie Walters, there with my wife on the fourth row, and her friend Karen. Raise your hands, Debbie and Karen. Uh, from Melbourne, Florida, uh, Debbie is uh, the, the matriarch of one of the finest well, wonderful families that Beth and I are privileged to know. A family of great athletes who also love Jesus. Pretty cool combination. I was hoping to be one of those, but I got at least half of that going eventually. Uh, and uh, her, her grandson is pitching for the Miami Hurricanes uh, against Pitt. So far, Pitt has taken them down two in a row. Yay, Pitt, right? <laughs> Miami's going to try a third time today to defeat the Panthers. Luke chapter 6. We're going to read again verses 46 to 49. Hear God's word. Why do you call me Lord, Lord? And do not do what I say. Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and acts on them, I will show you whom he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid a foundation on the rock. And when a flood occurred, the torrent burst against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who has heard and has not acted accordingly is like a man who built a house on the ground without any foundation. And the torrent burst against it, and immediately it collapsed, and the ruin of that house was great. By the way, Jeff, I'm not seeing anything back there. If you know what button to push to give me a visual in the back, that would be helpful. I've chosen over these last weeks to teach from this particular parable because I really believe what Jesus says about the destruction of all those houses that lack a solid foundation. I believe it because Jesus said it and because I have seen far too many spiritual houses that looked nice and pretty that were blown away by the storms of life in this earth, earthly trials. Reality is, in five years or less, some of you sitting here today will not be in church on Sunday you will be at home and no longer claiming to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And in fact, you'll be at home on Sunday morning doing your best to forget about God because something in your life goes wrong and your spiritual house was not up to the challenge. The big bad wolf will come to your doorstep and he will huff and he will puff and in some cases he will blow you away. Now, at that point, you may blame it on something else. You may blame it on circumstances. You may blame it on the wolf. You may blame it on God. But your Lord is telling you today that, in fact, the problem is in you. It's about where you are building. It's about what you are trusting in. It's about what you are relying upon. So learn with me the lesson of the two houses. We've seen in the last weeks that the great difference between the house that fell when the storm came and the house that stood, the difference is found beneath the surface. The good house which survives the storm is, is constructed on a solid foundation. The bad house which was destroyed in the storm was built upon sand. And Jesus says the good foundation for one's life is the hearing and the doing of the word of Jesus. He says, the wise builder comes to me, 
hears my word and then does them. But many fail at various points, some at the point of actually doing the word of Christ, and it is to these people that hear it but don't do it that Jesus is especially speaking. And to you who hear but do not do, Christ asks you a question in verse 46. Why do you call me? Well, read it with me. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Great question. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, do not do what I say? Why do you do that? Why do you stand here and sing, he is Lord? He's risen from the grave and he is Lord. Crown him with many crowns, but you don't obey him. If you're not going to obey him, why are you calling him Lord? Why? 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 I asked myself this question, and I came up with several possible answers. Maybe one of them fits you. Maybe you call Jesus Lord because you grew up being told that's what good boys and good girls do, and since you want to be a good boy or a good girl, it's, it's something you do. It's part of your image. Maybe you call Jesus Lord because your conscience is eased by tipping a respectful hat to the deity. No, you don't obey, but you have a, some people would put it this way, I have an understanding with the man upstairs. <laughs> Some of you don't obey, call Jesus Lord, because, well, he is important to you, but you, you sort of seem like a Santa Claus, right? You use, uh, you use him to obtain what it is that you're after in life. Obedience, obedience just really doesn't have a major place in your religion. You're a receiver, not an obeyer, huh? So Jesus asks us again, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? The very idea of Lord implies that this one is my boss, my master. He's the one who calls the shots in my life. So if you call him Lord, it implies that you are to treat him as Lord, right? Why don't you? Maybe some of you have considered the implications. Maybe you've never considered the implications of Christ's lordship. You've never understood that Christianity involves bowing before Christ. It's following Him. It's following His Word. Some of you maybe didn't know you could even know what Christ said. You figured that being a Christian was sort of letting your conscience guide you, listening to your heart, hopefully the better angels within. You didn't know that Christ told us what is right and true and good about so many subjects, about marriage and about divorce about sexual conduct, about how to spend your time and how to raise your children and how to relate to other people or how to pray or how to worship or how to handle your money. But, but it's true. He has spoken. We have his words. Thank God for that. Thank God for that. Apart from the scriptures, Christ's lordship, it would mean practically nothing because it would mean nothing practically. But hey, you have the word of Christ so you are in business. So Jesus in verse 47 asks a question, but I think uh, the question actually says two things we need to hear. First, Jesus is saying, if you aren't going to obey me, don't call me Lord. That, that doesn't help at all. Don't say the creed, don't sing the hymns, and when you're in trouble... Don't, don't cry, oh, Lord, have mercy. All of that 
is shallow mockery. Words are cheap. You understand that. They are often empty. Jesus does not want your empty words. He condemned the Jews of his day. Matthew 15, verse 8. He says, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. So he suggests you don't go calling him Lord unless you are prepared to actually do as he says. Amos 5 Great passage from the prophet. He says, I, uh, speaking on behalf of God to a people that were not walking according to the commandments of Christ, he says, I hate, I reject your festivals, nor do I delight in your solemn assemblies. You see, they were religious. Even though you offer up to me burnt offerings and your grain offerings, I will not accept them, and I will not even look at the peace offerings of your fatlings. Take away from me the noise of your songs. I will not even listen to the sound of your harps, but let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. God is saying, your empty words, they don't do anything for me. Your respectful gestures don't please me at all. In fact, you are, you are seeking, unless you are seeking to obey your religiosity, Rather than blessing me, rather disgust me. It's probably with some type of exasperated tone that Jesus says to the disciples, why do you call me Lord, Lord? Or to the people, I guess. I don't know if it's the disciples specifically had in mind. But why do you call me Lord, Lord? And do not do what I say. The question rather makes a statement. If you won't obey, don't call me Lord. The other statement the question makes is that those who don't obey Christ, they do not enter into heaven. They, in fact, are assigned to hell. Christ says in verse 46, why do you call me Lord, Lord, do not do what I say? That's not going to help you. And the result of such a practice, he says in verse 49 of our passage, is ruin and destruction. There's a parallel text. You may be more familiar with this story coming from the end of the uh, Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Look at that with me. Jesus says, similarly, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me. That's not a good thing to be hearing. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. And in Matthew 25, when he says, depart from me, he offers this addition. He'll say to those on his left, depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire, which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. So you who call Jesus Lord, would you hear what he says about your refusal to obey one more verse, John 3, 36. He who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. If you will not submit to him, calling him Lord won't help at all. Singing him songs won't help at all. If you will not submit to him, even as you open your jaws to say, Lord Jesus or Lord, Lord, Perdition, hell will open its jaws to swallow you forever. And our loving, our loving Lord Jesus says this to us, and it is very, very serious. So having looked at this question, Jesus asked, I want us to ask a question, or I want to ask a question of my own, a question that rises from the story of the two houses. 
Why is it that intelligent people who recognize the uh, who recognize what we're saying here, who recognize the foolishness of building a house on anything else but a good foundation? Why is it that even though they know that a house like that is maybe or will be destined for ruin, why is it that they still build their house on sand or without care in laying a foundation? Why will some of you, even after hearing these sermons from the last four weeks, still go out and throw up a shack on the sand? Why do people who know better still build like that foolish builder? Why don't they lay the good foundation? I've got three points. How many did you come up with? (laughs) Why don't they lay the good foundation? Number one, reason number one, to lay the good foundation takes time. Takes time. In the story of uh, the three pigs that we've been analyzing carefully, uh, you have a Pfeiffer pig and Fiddler pig who threw up piddly houses made out of sticks and straw. Why? Why, why? why did they choose to go that direction? It's easy. Quick. They're, they're, they were threw up their houses rapidly so they could get back to their fifing and their fiddling. Plenty of Christians who want to have done with God and get back to their fifing and their fiddling and their TVs and their PCs and their skis and on and on. Ad gamesium, ad toysium, ad nauseum. Fiddling and fifing. There's all various, many various forms of fiddling and fifing out there. Some of you are dreaming of it now. Got to get back to it. Must hurry. So whatever I do that's not fun. If it's not fun, let's get it over with soon. Patience, perseverance don't fit the modern mentality. If you don't get your coffee in three minutes or less at Starbucks, you you get upset. If a website doesn't download quickly enough, you just go to the next one. We are the microwave generation, children of impatience. How many of you remember back, way back before there were microwaves? Remember that? Wow. (laughs) Being a very impatient person myself, that's like my all-time favorite invention. We got one in 1982 at Christmas time, and uh, it was massive. It weighed like 200 pounds back in those days. Uh, but I was thrilled by it. Just having a baby with a bottle, just stick that thing in a microwave, the kid's ready to drink. Anyway, we're the children of impatience. If it takes time, we can't hack it. So in religion, if you don't get your instant upper from Jesus, you, you go elsewhere to build your house. The fool is in a hurry, Right? The fool is in a hurry. Hurry's not good, is it? Now, I had a basketball coach. One of the things he often said to us in high school was, play fast, but don't hurry. Okay. I I think I get the general idea there. He said a lot of other things I didn't understand, but that one I kind of got the gist of. Hurry ultimately is wasteful, isn't it? You, You hurry to leave the house and then you forgot something, so you have to 
turn around and go back. You hurry to fix dinner, and, and then you mess it up. But the fool is in a hurry to get back to his toys, and so he's into shortcuts, quick results, and like the two foolish pigs, he builds a house that will not stand under salt. But the wise man, says Jesus in verse 48, will dig deep, and that takes time and effort. Uh, as Debbie knows, I spent a lot of time watching buildings get put up around my office at the corner of Emerson and Nesbitt in Palm Bay, Florida. And one thing that always amazed me about the construction projects is how long the prep work took. You know what I mean? It's like they spend two-thirds of the time of the construction just preparing, moving dirt around and digging ditches and getting that thing ready before you start building anything up. But they had to do that right to lay a solid foundation. Christ says, dig deep. That's the way to get a good foundation. If you won't take the time, forget having a good house. But how many deep persons do you know? Who is the wise man, who is the wise woman here who is taking the time to dig deep? That means time to pray, time to think and meditate, time to study God's Word. If you're not willing to think, forget the foundation. So many will simply say, I'm too busy for whatever, for Bible study, so the church is a mile wide and an inch deep. Charles Spurgeon wrote this, want of depth, want of sincerity, want of reality in religion. This is the want of our times. Want of an eye to God in religion, lack of sincere dealing with one's soul, neglect of using the lancet with our hearts, neglect of the search warrant which God gives out against sin, carelessness concerning living upon Christ, no reading about Him, no talking to Him, no too little feeding upon Him. These are the causes of tottering professions and baseless hopes. Tottering professions and baseless hopes. The winds blow, the waters rise, the house falls. You made the choice. I had no time, no time to dig deep, no time to lay a good foundation. So that's one reason people don't. It takes time. Second reason why people will fail to build a house with good foundation is that it takes, this is very closely related, but it takes work. It takes effort, doesn't it? It takes work. Work! Oh, horrors, don't mention that word. We hate it. In fact, we admire people that get along without having to do any. The two foolish pigs laughed at their friend, Practical Pig. Remember Practical Pig? He spent all that time making bricks, building that house up of bricks, and his, and his, and his friends, Fiddler and Pfeiffer Pig, just uh, laughed at, at all his sweat and toil. But Jesus says the wise man digs deep, and that takes not only time, it takes some effort. It is toil and sweat, and the fool wants to avoid all of that. He runs from work. He doesn't want to do the hard thinking. He doesn't want to do the hard studying. He refuses to say no to the whimperings of the flesh. But Christianity is a fight. It is a race. It costs to follow Jesus. Does your Christianity involve any particular effort? Is it hard? Does it call for perseverance? And I don't mean to suggest that true Christianity is done uh, is dour or joyless in, in, in any way, far from it, but it is certainly not frivolous. Many preachers, though, they try to, they'll, they'll try to sell you some sandlots. These are cheap. They require little investment. The salesman may be successful, but the houses built there are premature rubble. That's all they are. The wise man digs deep, lays his house, its foundation on the rock, 
J.C. Ryle writes this, such a man's religion may cost him much. Like the house built on a rock, it may entail on him pains and labor and self-denial. To lay aside pride and self-righteousness, to crucify the rebellious flesh, to put on the mind of Christ, to take up the cross daily, to count all things but loss for Christ's sake. All this may be hard work, but like the house built on the rock, such religion will stand. The streams of affliction may beat violently upon it and the floods of persecution dash fiercely against it, but it will not give way. The Christianity which combines good profession and good practice is a building that will not fail or fall, end quote, from Brother Ryle. Yet still, many will not build such a house, and I offer reason number three, and that is to lay a good foundation requires a future perspective, requires a future perspective. See, if all you can see is today, it may seem best to to simply erect a house quickly on the sand. After all, on a sunny day when the river is low, you you don't see any particular need to take all that time to dig deep, to lay a good foundation, or maybe in the case of a house by the river, to put it up on stilts where it's protected from the flood. But just picture the happy builder constructing his riverside home when someone comes along and warns him that, hey, did you know that when spring storms come, that river can get mighty high and a man better build a sturdy house or else? Well, that builder just goes on about his building and ignores the warning, saying to himself, what is this guy talking about? I've been here for three months and this river's never risen that high. Remember what practical pig said to his careless brothers. Remember, he reminded them, don't forget about the wolf that lives out in the woods. But the big bad wolf wasn't around at that time. So the two pigs danced and they sang. And what they sing? Who's afraid of the big bad wolf, the big bad wolf, the big bad wolf? And they sang that because they lacked a future perspective. Do you? What's your song? Who's afraid of the big bad storm? Who's afraid of a holy God? Who's afraid of a judgment day? Well, friend, I say with Noah and Jeremiah and Jesus, the storm is coming upon your life. Build with the storm in mind. That's what the wise man did. He doesn't just live for today. He prepares for a more difficult tomorrow. There is a tomorrow when all of your emotional props will not be there for you. There is a tomorrow when the wind is going to blow away all the chaff of your life. There are hard times coming, lonely times, sick times will test your Christian house. And if you believe that, then you will dig deep and lay the foundation. If you believe that, you'll take the time. You waste your time now because you don't really believe in in judgment. If you did, you take the effort too. You would work to dig deep. The reason you are so given over to your flesh is that you don't think the big bad wolf is ever going to come, do you? Man, I'm 14. Big bad wolf hasn't been around to blow my house down yet. Hey, you might hit 44 before the big bad wolf comes around. I don't know. But he's coming for all of us, guaranteed. 
And if you don't lay a good foundation, you are gambling with your soul. Friend, please consider. Yes, a commitment to Christ costs. It will cost some time. It will cost some effort. It might injure your reputation in certain quarters. It will take some effort to hear and do Christ's word. It hurts at times. Yeah, it hurts. But, 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 with a capital B, it is worth it. That's the point. The rewards are unspeakable and full of glory. The pain of Christianity, the struggles of following Christ, ultimately, let's face it, they're nothing compared with the pain of sin and unbelief. Nothing. Nothing compared to that at all. For Jesus says again in verse 48, the torrent burst against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who is heard and not acted accordingly is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation and the torrent burst against it and immediately it collapsed and the ruin of that house was great. The point of Christ's lesson is the time and effort to build the house right. It is worth it. Do you believe that? Do you believe Jesus? If you do, it's, it's going to show up in your life. We're going to see you digging. <laughs> it will make a huge difference. Christ says it is wisdom to hear and to do his word. So I wrap all of this up, all these four Sundays of meditating on this parable, with a poem, a hymn. At least you can turn it into a hymn. In fact, we're going to do that. But here's what it says. We're going to read it through, and, and then we're going to sing it. I mean, I'm going to read it through. You can just listen, and then we'll sing it together. My God, I mark with fear how many hopes decay, and like the foolish builder's house, fall in the trial day. Perhaps amidst this throng, thou dost a soul espy, whose towering hopes are built on sand. I ask, Lord, is it I? A thousand doubts arise, I bring them all to thee. Am I unconsciously deceived? Lord, search my heart and see. Oh, teach me deep to dig down to the solid rock that when the tornadoes round me sweep, my house may bear the shock. Oh, Jesus, thy words are the sure foundation stone. Firm as the eternal hills are they, I build on these alone. Cemented fast to thee, no stone is laid in vain. My hope defies the assaults of hell. My hope defies the assaults of hell, the flood, the wind, the rain. Invite our musicians back up to lead us in singing that, and let's join together in prayer before we do. Father, thank you for this truth, even the hard truth about what awaits us in this life and certainly on the day of judgment. Give us, give us then, our God, hearts to hear, hearts to learn. Give us faith to have that future perspective and thus to build on Christ the solid rock as we confess and we know that all other ground is sinking sand but Jesus is a firm foundation. 
We commit ourselves now to invest the time and effort to build solidly and wisely on him and his good word, which is for us life and light and sustenance. So cement in our conscience the lessons of the great parable as we seek to be faithful disciples. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.